Good morning again. I would encourage you to turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, just beginning this study in this incredible book. It's a wonderful book. I've enjoyed this already. Um, And I just have to say, I, I just thank the Lord for just the idea of the church. But not only that, I thank the Lord for Daniel's Bible Church. I thank you, the Lord, for this just this precious family that meets together week after week. It's a joy to be together. Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this this passage, what a joy it is. I pray that uh, as we unpack these these few words, that it would be a, a, a joy to our life. It would be a sustenance to our spiritual souls. Lord, so that our lives would reflect this very word and that you get the glory for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The author here is introducing this book, the book of Hebrews, uh, just with this three verse, uh, three verses here, and he's answering for us two questions. First question is, where is Christ from? Where is he from? And that would have been a significant question for the Jews uh, that needed to be answered. It wasn't from, was he from Bethlehem or from? Judea or, or uh, Galatia, uh, the uh, uh, place up north, the Galilean area. This is, this is, where is he from? Who's his father? That would be the more significant question for the Jewish audience here. The, the second question he answers in this passage for us is, what is his criteria? What... What qualifies him? What skills does he have? What ability? How does he demonstrate that he has the ability to rule? And again, this would be the, the Jewish audience here is they're, they're thinking of Messiah. Is he capable of handling the Messiahship? Um, and what qualifies him for these things? Now, if you go to a doctor, as I, I go to a doctor, I, I, I'm constantly thinking, looking at his credentials. I'm thinking, okay, what qualifies this man to help me in my pain or help me live longer or better quality life? Or you know, what, what training has he have? What, uh, what cred- credentials does he have? And so I start looking for evidence, right? Does he have a stethoscope around his neck? If he doesn't have that, I'm thinking, eh, okay. Does he have a white coat? Does he ask the right questions? But then, then you begin to realize, well, that's pretty superficial. 
You know, the, the doctors on TV, they can, they can pretend to be a doctor, they're, but they're just actors. And they can dress up like a doctor, but the reality is, is they're not real qualified. So what I begin to look at is the, the plaques on the wall. Where did he go to school? Did he even go to school? What university did he go to? Did he, did he finish? What other accomplishments does he have in his life? I had one doctor that I noticed the, the plaque. Uh, he had a degree in mechanical engineering before he became a doctor. And I'm thinking, man, how does that work? But you, you want to know, is this man qualified to do or woman qualified to do what he, he claims to do? And that's a, that's a good, healthy thing to, that's a good question to ask. We should ask that of our mechanics and our plumbers and our roofers. You know, what, what are their credentials? We would naturally ask that. We should, we should ask it of our newscasters. You know, what qualifies them to sit there and, and tell us what is truth or what is not truth. Paul said that even an elder has to have qualifications and he lists the qualifications of an elder. And if those qualifications are not seen in that man's life, then he is not qualified. He should not be and he must not be an, an elder. And even a pastor, you know, what criteria do I have or any pastor have to, to stand before you and open up the word of God? What skills do I have? What authority do I have to stand before you and say, thus saith the Lord. Here's what God says. Any good communicator can stand and do that. But you have to have skills. You have to have some ability to be able to do that. Some criteria. Criteria. What, what proof? The, the criteria is just evidence or, or proof that a person is qualified, has the skills and ability, uh, and, and can demonstrate that with with certain amount of competency. And the question that the Jews would have asked was, was, was Jesus Messiah material? <laughs> was he qualified? And of course, the answer to that is what? Absolutely. He's overqualified. And that's the point here. That's what he's getting at. He's going to bombard these, this, uh, this audience that he has with just evidence, one after the other. And in fact, there are seven that we'll look at. Just bombard them with the, the preeminence of Christ. And the Jewish thinking is, is just that. Is he qualified to be the Messiah? Because the first time he came, he just didn't look Messiah, Messiah-ish. He didn't have that look. He didn't have that, that feel about him. He just wasn't the Messiah, so they rejected him. But even at one point, Christ himself said, if you don't believe me, look at the, look at the evidence. Look at the miracles that I'm doing. Look at the miracles themselves. That is, those are qualifications. Those are proof. Christ is preeminent. He is, has the highest of all positions. He is above everything. He is above everyone. He has all authority. His work is all sufficient. And the new covenant which is established in his blood is so much better than the old covenant. And we stand alone in the preeminence of Christ. So what are the seven criteria? 
we started looking at this last week. The first one we got through uh, last week was that he is heir of all things. You see that in verse 2. In these last days, he spoke to us to his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And we, we looked at, at that. And we saw three key passages. We'll just remind you of this. Of Christ's inheritance. That it's all his. He is the son of God and he's going to inherit everything from his father. In fact, we, we've seen that he's already done that. We looked at these three passages. Uh, Psalm chapter 2, and it's a good passage to, to go to and, and just rehearse in your mind. But, but uh, we see his uh, inheritance promised there. That, and it's a, a picture, of a scene of his inauguration as becoming king. He hasn't taken the physical throne yet, but someday he will. And he is king. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. But someday he will come back and reclaim this earth. And we saw that in Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 14, that Christ's inheritance was received. And that he was the only one qualified, verse in chapter 5, to, to take the title deed of the earth and then to, to go and reclaim the earth. In chapter 6, if we would have gone on into that next chapter, we would see him unrolling that scroll, breaking those seals, and taking back the physical earth. Taking it away from sin and Satan and death and decay. But the spiritual work had to be done first. And that was his first visit. He took care of all of those, the spiritual elements as death on the cross points to that. And then the second, the third scene that we saw was in Romans chapter 8. And that was just a precious passage that Jesus Christ, his inheritance, he receives his inheritance, but he shares it with us. And he tells us the meek will inherit the earth. And we're someday going to be restored and we're going to serve and, uh, with him someday on this new heaven and new earth. We are a, a chosen generation, a chosen race, a, a whole new race of people. And we'll inherit this new heaven and new earth. Now, folks, that's grace. That's grace. That's the grace of God. We had no part. It's completely undeserved. But he is so gracious. And for us, then, as far as application, I mentioned this last week, our inheritance helps us uh, to keep suffering in perspective, doesn't it? It helps us to keep suffering in perspective. Suffering doesn't even compare with the glory to be received someday. So Christ is, he's the heir of all things. Number two, number two, is he is the creator of the universe. (laughs) It's so, so good. He says, uh, through whom, this is the second phrase we'll look at, qualifications, is through whom also he made the world. And that's just, that's just, is mind-blowing. The first thing you see, this is such a casual phrase. Oh, also... He made the world. And it kind of reminds you of Roman, uh, Genesis chapter 1, where uh, just at the uh, little phrase at the end, he says, oh, oh yeah, by the way, he made the world. He also made the, I'm sorry, he made the stars also. Billions of stars. We look at that in Sunday school today. Millions, trillions of stars even. He, he, and, it, and it's spoken of as so, so casual. 
like it was nothing, no effort at all. That, that word also kind of minimizes it, doesn't it? But it kind of emphasizes it too. It was nothing to, to Christ. Oh yeah, by the way, he, he created the world. By the way, everything that you see, he, uh, he created that. If you want to see preeminence, that's preeminence, right? You don't get any higher than this, this whole world being created by God himself. It's, that's just a, an amazing understatement, an understatement here. Through whom, that is God, through Christ, made the world. Made the world. Now, there's three things that I want you to notice here. This is important. I want to dive deep into this, this little phrase because we, there's so much combating, so much noise about this, about creation that we just need to be able to think our way through these, these, uh, statements that are, are being bombarding us today. But first, first point that you see here is that this is a claim to, to deity. This is, this points to Christ's deity, that he pre-existed. Now, only God pre-existed, but he was here before the world was here. He pre-existed. He, he didn't just start or start existing at Bethlehem. No, he pre-existed the world. The world was created by him. And, and then that, that again points to his deity. Cause we know God created the heaven and the earth and he had to be here before. And Christ has all the attributes of, of God. He, he pre-existed. Uh, he had, he, to, to be able to create, if he's going to be the creator, he has to have all knowledge. He has to know how this world works. Um, the, the distance between the earth and the, the sun has to be just perfect. He has to know, understand gravity. He has to understand to the, to the point of, of how even a, a tree works so that things can flourish. The, the moon, the gravitational pull of the moon. All of those things. So he is all, all knowing. He is omniscient. That's a characteristic of God. He created this world to be sustained, to, to be self-sustaining. He also had all power. He had to be able to do that. All the power of a nuclear explosion, he had to understand that. He had to be able to control that, put that in a controllable environment and bring order to that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Christ is preeminent. He, he, he has the, the qualities, the characteristics of deity. Now, of course, we see that played out in Scripture. In John chapter 1, we see in the beginning was the Word, that's Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, through Christ. And apart from Him, there's two elements. He created everything, but also apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So he says it in two different ways. Anything that you see has created by Christ. And apart from him, there's nothing out there that man's going to discover that Christ did not create. First Corinthians chapter eight, verse six. Yet for us, there is but one God, the father from whom all things are all things. And we exist for him. 
and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all things, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him, giving Christ the credit for all of creation. Colossians 1, the passage that was read for us earlier. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's preeminence of all creation. For by Him all things are created or were created both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Even the things we cannot see, He created them. Both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him preeminence we see we see deity here deity <clears throat> so we'll, uh, 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 how do we apply that number 1 we, we bow the knee don't we i mean he is preeminent he is creator there's no higher authority we bow to him he he is uh sustaining our very lives with this creation number 2 it also points to his position. It also points to his position. And, and this is the position of second person in the Trinity. This is a, a triune God. So if, if he is God, then that means that there's a, a plurality of gods, right? It's the Trinity. That's what we see in the scripture. And, and Christ is part of that triune God. Now there's three distinct persons, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that share the same essence, the same nature, and all of the divine attributes, the, the Trinity. Now it might be a hard concept to, to grasp, but it's, it's no less biblical. We cannot deny what Scripture says. It's a hard thing to grasp, but it's, it's just a reality. And we see it from the very first. Genesis chapter 1. Elohim. In the beginning, God created. The word God, Elohim, is in plural. And then he goes within that same chapter, verse 26. He says, let us make man. That's inter-Trinitarian communication. They're communicating within themselves. Let's do this. This is our plan. And so, from the very beginning, we see the plurality of God. A Godhead. Matthew chapter 3, we see Christ. He is here on this earth. Uh, we see him being baptized. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. And then we hear, so that's the third person, the first person of the Trinity speaks. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You have all three persons of the Trinity right there. And then Christ, of course, speaks out. That was Matthew. Christ says, Go make disciples. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, "Go make disciples, baptizing in them in the name of what, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit." You can't deny it. This is here, hard to explain, but it's it's here. Paul says there is one body and one spirit, just as also we were called to one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Who is all above all and through all and in all. Peter says. So you've got Matthew, one of the disciples. Christ himself, Paul. Peter says, according to the foreknowledge of the God the Father. Both sanctifying work of the Spirit. To obey Jesus Christ. And be sprinkled with his blood. You have all three right there. 
Jude chapter 1 verse 20 and 21 but you both but you beloved building yourself up on your on your most holy faith praying in the spirit keeping yourself in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ all three and then again John the closest one, the closest disciple of Christ, we see it in Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. You see all three persons of the Trinity mentioned here in Scripture. It's just a reality, folks. Now, I say that because there's a, there's a, a movement, it seems to be growing in popularity. This, this idea of, um, this oneness, mostly in oneness Pentecostal circles, it's their doctrine, but it's called modalism. That there's only one God. It's not a trinity. And you see this in T.D. Jakes and Joyce Myers and Zinson. Some of these. Uh, and it's official. Their official teaching is modalism. And that's dangerous. Because that's not the God of Scripture. It's just not what we see in Scripture. There is a triune God. And there's two parts that have to be there. When you're dealing with the, the true and living God, Yahweh. The God of the Old Testament. The God of the New Testament. We see... Uh, there's there's two parts. The first part is there's three spirit beings that function independently of one another. Different roles, different responsibilities. We see that in Scripture. And then number two, the second part of it, there is a, a perfect unity. A one in, in essence. They completely agree. They're completely content, completely at peace with one another. And, and they share one essential nature. Now again, it's hard to understand, but, but we see it in Scripture. And, and we see it, that there's a, we see it, God Himself claimed. He says, I am the Lord your God. And before you, and I brought you out of the land of Egypt, of the house of slavery. There's, there's one God. One God. We serve one God. John chapter... That was God the Father. John chapter 20, verse 28. Thomas recognized that Jesus was God. And of course, that's why Jesus died. Because they recognized that he was claiming to be God. And Thomas cries out, My Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't correct him. Another element here another verse that you need to be aware of acts chapter 5 verses 3 and 3 and 4 this is when ananias brought the money from the spell sell the land and gave it to peter ananias uh, peter said to ananias ananias why has satan filled your heart to lie to the holy spirit Ananias, you lied to the holy spirit and to keep back some of the money for the from the land while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it under your control? Why is it that you have conceded or conceived this deed in your heart that you would not, that you have not lied to man, but to God? The Holy Spirit, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You've not lied to man, you've lied to God, recognizing that the Holy Spirit is God too. Christ is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and God the Father is God. 
That's what we saw, we see taught in scripture. We see all of them as well having the same attributes, same attributes of eternality, same holiness, same truth, same omniscience, omnipotence, same, uh, omnipresence, the sanctifier, the giver of life. They, they all have a work of salvation. They're all involved in creation. So that's what we see. You say, why is that important? So how does that apply to us? Well, so be aware of this oneness being at Pentecost or oneness movement, this modalism, because that's a false God. And to worship anything other than a triune God, a trinity, is idolatry. It's idolatry. And to worship that is, is you, you might as well be bowing down to some idol. So we have to be very, very careful. We cannot let this thing slide. Oh, they're good people. Oh, they're religious people. Oh, they're Christians. We have to be very careful. And we need to correct them and say, this is, you, you, we have to understand this is a triune God here. They need to understand that. So, Christ uh, is also, it points to his deity, it points to his uh, position in the Trinity, it also points to Christ's ability. This little phrase here points to Christ's ability. Now you've got to watch this. This is so, so good. Because he is creator. He is a creator. Creator God. In Colossians, this passage that was read for us earlier is probably the best passage to, to, uh, to, to read and to, to give credence to this. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, I'll start with verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the preeminence of all creation. For by him, this is God, or Christ, by him, all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones of dominion or rulers or authorities, all things are, have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's our Christ. That, that's his ability to create. He did it all for, he created everything for himself and through himself. He did it. it, it all the credit goes to him. Now we know that God the Father and the Holy Spirit was involved in that as well. But folks, we cannot give an inch in this. That God created. Christ created the heaven and the earth. Now my problem is not so much with, with the unbeliever in this. With the, the world. In this whole creation thing. Because they're going to try to find ways to explain God away. And creation is the hardest thing. Romans chapter 1. They cannot deny what they see. But they've got to explain it away. And so they're going to come up with with uh, different ideas. They're motivated to do that. To suppress the truth in ungodliness. To explain God away. And it's like Romans chapter 2. Last week we were talking about that passage. They want to throw off the shackles of God. They, will, they are saying, we will not have this man or this God rule over us. We don't want his righteousness. We don't want his morals. We don't want his truth. We don't want to be accountable to him. So they throw off the rules. They throw off his control over over their life. And so you, you would expect them, the unbeliever then, to, to make up, 
to, to, to pour their life into suppressing truth, to make up evolution, to make up Big Bang theories, all of these theories that try to explain God away. But I think most of the time they create more problems for themselves if they're trying to face reality. Because there's no good, no good explanation for the conscience. There's no good explanation for the uniqueness of man in all of God's creation. It's really amazing. And they can't explain that. They can't explain it. They can't explain the order of our universe. Romans chapter 1 says then they are without excuse. They try to not look at it, but they're without excuse. And like I said, my problem is not with the unsaved. My problem in this whole creation movement or debate, let's say that, my problem is with the Christians who want to compromise. Try to bring the science with the Scripture, but... Mostly they just twist scripture to match the science of the day. And that's what they do. There's a couple passages that I want us to, to be aware of, to, to know. Um, and let me give you some reasons why we cannot violate scripture. And we cannot give an inch in this, in this area. In Romans chapter 4 verse 17, the last part of that verse is, Ever God, or even God, who gives life to the dead, gives life to the dead, that's spiritual life to the spiritual dead, and calls into being that which does, that which does not exist. He, he calls into being that which does not exist. So keep that mind, keep that verse in mind. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were Prepared by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of things which are which not made out of things which are visible. Okay, just keep those passages in mind and let me give you 10 reasons, 10 reasons why we cannot twist scripture, why there cannot be. Creation evolutionists. It's just, you cannot combine evolution and scripture. It just does not work. That we have to believe in a strong creationism. We just have to. That's what scripture. Anything else is going to twist scripture. Let me give you ten things. Well, you see them on the screen. Don't look ahead. Number one, God created out of nothing. That's what it says. It's out of nothing. He didn't manipulate things to, to, you know, find some material. Oh man, I found this. I want to create something with it. Not at all. Ex nihilo is the, 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 the phrase, the Greek phrase, and it's out of nothing. There's no pre-existing material. Nothing, nothing was there. He calls it into existence. Number two, the force behind that is his word. That that was the driving force. It's not time and chance. It's not uh, it's not just uh, some uh, big bang or anything like that. It was through His Word. He spoke it into existence. Now we look at the the beautiful pictures and the amazing pictures of the galaxy, and we see that spiral, and we think, man. And, and the the you know the scientists would say, oh well, see, uh, you know that spiral gives evidence that. Um, that the, the, that the whole creation just exploded into existence. 
It's like, no. We can see that you're, you're reading things into that picture and we have to be careful. No, that's just God speaking things into existence. God created it the way it was created, meant to be created. And Psalm chapter 33, verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By his word, he spoke it into existence. Verse 9, he goes on to say, For he spoke and it was done. Final. There's nothing more to be said. No manipulation of the material, no time and chance, and no just happenstance. But when God created, it was fully formed and fully functional at that second, at that moment that it was called into existence. That's amazing. That's amazing. No need at all for evolution. Number three, God created, God, uh, God's creation come into being existence instantly. It wasn't over millions of years. God said, let there be light, and there was light. There was instant obedience from his creation. Number four, the world was created in six literal days. There's no no reason. In fact, you have to twist scripture to come up with this day-age theory or their gaps theory, all of those things. You you have to invent these things. You have to twist scripture. The the word day, yom, there is, was not figuratively used. And whenever you put a a, a final number or a, a number with the word yom, it's always referring in scripture. It's always referring to a literal 24 hour day. It's not figurative. It's very specific. Adam and Eve were, were created uh, one more element there. Whenever you see the evening and morning, it's always referring to a 24-hour day. 24 hours, six literal days. Everything was created. We may not understand how that happens, but it's just the power of God's Word. Number six, Adam and Eve were created in the beginning. In the beginning. It wasn't after millions of years. In the beginning, God created and in six days, but at the end of that six days, man and, and, uh, and woman was created. Male and female, both were created. It wasn't millions of years. There's, you have to, again, read it in Scripture. Number seven, there is one human race. There's not a multiple uh, numbers of, of human race. Christ died for Adam and Adam's race. And that, that points to that number nine, Adam was the first man. It wasn't a Neanderthal, but Christ in scripture always points to Adam as the first. Adam was the first man. And number eight, I skipped one. Death did not precede sin. Evolution is just a, a theory of, of death and decay. And what we see in Scripture is sin came first, and then as a result of that sin, death comes into the world. That's just what you see in Scripture. Now, I'm moving quickly here, but I, I have to ask the question, why are, um, why are monkeys still monkeys? You know? Why don't we see a half monkey and a half human? We just, you just don't see that. They, they don't cross species. There's kinds. 
and, and they stay in their species or their kind according to, to scripture. That's just what you see. That's what we see in the reality. And then number 10, just quickly, God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. Evolution, and you look at the death and decay, and then he looks and sees all these dead bones and, and all of this, this mess, and he, he says, that's good? No. No, he said it was good. He created a planet. It was designed to, um, to be inhabited by man and by animals. It was designed to, to allow life to thrive. That's what you see. Life was not just an accident on this, on this incredible planet that happened to just, to just be uh, conducive to, to create life. No, what we see is a planet that was designed to... <clears throat> Uh, and, and these inhabitants to d- designed to, um, uh, to allow life to thrive. And that's what we see. There's no such thing, I believe, as creation evolutionists. There's no such thing as an old earth creationist. You, you cannot, you have to twist scripture. You have to twist scripture to do that. I, I know that that's harsh. I know that's hard because there's a lot of people that get caught up in the, in the intellectualism. And I've been in those circles. And it's not, it's not fun, especially in those kinds of circles, to, to look, be looked down upon or, or to be seen as, well, they're pretty stupid. They still believe in creation. And that's the, you don't look cool. You feel pretty stupid. Um, but what you see, is that godly men who know the scripture have good explanation for any of those questions that they, that arises. And I would encourage us all, I would encourage us to go to the Creation Museum. Some godly men there that have put together, and it makes sense when you begin to see these things laid out. Creation Museum, the Ark, Encounter. Um, there are good biblical explanations for a young earth that is consistent with the science that, that we see around us. And there's no reason for us to compromise the Word of God, folks. No reason for us to compromise the Word of God. And we cannot give an inch. We cannot give an inch. You say, well, why is there? why does the earth appear to be old? Well, because God created it that way. Why does, why did man, uh, you know, why did he not, uh, why did not God just create him as a baby and let him grow up? No, there's nobody to take care of him. He was created a man. He was, Eve was created a woman. They were mature. They were mature. There was fruit trees on the fruit, fruit on the fruit trees. You know what I mean. There was mature fruit there. This earth was designed for Adam to come in and be able to have a meal on the first day. He didn't have to plant the garden and wait for it to grow. It was mature. It was, it was just there. If you looked at it, the first day of creation, you think, man, this, this took a long time. No, it was just one day. God can do that. And Christ did that. Christ is involved in that creation process. He spoke it into existence. Christ created this world. Through Him, uh, He made the world. Just a casual thing. Oh, He made the world. You want to see His preeminence? There it is. And man will never discover anything that is not spoken into existence by the Word of Christ. 
Visible, invisible, there's nothing there. You know, Satan doesn't create anything. The only thing that Satan creates is chaos. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's not even good at manipulating this material, physical world at all. He has to use us. And Genesis chapter 6 kind of points to that. So how how do we apply this just quickly? Number one, you say, I cannot, I cannot uh, believe, I, I cannot believe until I completely understand all the details. Give me all the details and then I'll believe. Give me all the evidence and then I'll believe. That's, that's the argument. And it's like, no, no, we're created to have faith. There's an element of faith and we just have to have faith. God, God's communicated enough to us. Um, we, we might even hear Christ say, you know what, you want to understand everything, then you get your own planet. You create your own planet. You create your own universe and then you can understand that. No, it's, this is God's universe. We don't have to understand everything. We have a life of faith. Number two, just another way of, of kind of applying this is that creation evolution debate, this creation evolution debate, um, really comes down to one thing. Do you believe this word? Do you believe this word? It's either you believe this word or you're going to buy into something else other, other than this word. And that's what it comes down to. Do you believe, do you believe strongly in this word? And Christ is more than just a savior. He is more than just a good example. He is the creator of the universe. We listen to him. We follow him. We reverence him. We worship him. We obey him. We love him. He is, he is our creator. He is the one that sustains our life. And there's no compromise. He is preeminent. He is above all things, above everyone. He has the highest of all positions. He is all sufficient. Christ is qualified, folks. He, he is the Son of God. Everything is in, He has inherited everything. And then, by the way, He created everything. Let's go back to that passage that uh, I read last week, Psalm chapter 2. Let me just read the last three verses in that little Psalm, Psalm chapter 2. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judge of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that He will not become angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed, now this is, the, this is where I want, to, I want you to take home with you. How blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. Folks, we are in Christ. We take refuge in Christ. We, do we understand it all? Do we, do we even understand our own salvation? Not completely, no. Do we understand every element of creation? No. But we have faith in, we take refuge in Christ. We don't have to know everything. We just have to know one person, and that is Christ. We look to Him. We keep our focus and our eyes on Him. He is preeminent. He created everything. This is His world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for a Savior who created the world, who knows us intimately, who sustains our very life, and and who loved us enough to die on the cross for us. What a God. 
What a Messiah. Lord, I pray that our eyes would be fixed upon Christ. Help us as we go through this life, as we go through this week, and just the struggles that we have of this week, I pray that that our faith would be sustained by this fact of knowing that Christ is sustaining us, that Christ has created us. He knows how we work. He knows what's going on in our life. He knows what's going on in our own heads. And Lord, I I just thank you for being a great God. Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.